Theological diversity, I had a lot of that way back when. My parents weren't churchgoers, but I've gone to church Sunday school as far back as I could remember, like five. I went with whatever neighbor invited me. And my parents came, of course, Christmas, Easter, and if the youth group was doing anything. So I went to the Lutheran, the Methodist, the Baptist, the Presbyterian, and the United Church of Christ. And United Church of Christ was almost 50 years. And now I've been here about 12. And I, I look back and I wonder, since I don't feel religious, and since my parents were churchgoers, why is this the case? Well, the why of church is important to me, to know why. And though I'm not religious, I don't see myself as religious, my religion consists of several little paragraphs that I put together. I was trying once upon a time to make concentric circles. I couldn't make that work, so they're just little paragraphs. And my beginning is much like the cover of our program this morning. It's the diversity of beliefs that most draws me to Unitarian Universalism. Open, spirited, question, questioning discussion is common here, and it fosters acceptance, understanding, peace, and love. And this was written mostly during the uh, Build Your Own Theology class, and I would recommend that highly to anybody that has the opportunity. First of all, I believe in God. That's the ever-present God that is, just as it was to the ancients, the mystical, the mythical, the magic. God is the rainbow. It's a wildflower growing up through a crack in the pavement, a baby's smile. God is our tender, loving care of one another. Openness, understanding, acceptance, love. The greatest virtue of all. Most of all, God is love. That's the God part. Then religion I was trying to define. I believe religion consists of the honored stories age-old myths and sacred ritual that carry life's most precious lessons. Religion is honoring our ancestors and their ways. It's holding fast to comforting beliefs, repeating that which gives us strength and hope. Religion offers people a way to survive in times of extreme stress, illness, disaster, bereavement. Another word that has to do with religion is spirituality. For me, spirituality is wonder, awe, reverence. Whether it be art, music, literature, or the magnif magnificent forces of nature. It's a circling hawk, a redwood tree, a waterfall. It's the Mona Lisa, the Sistine Chapel, the Bible, the Koran. Spirituality is also the we did it of a successful group, group effort, like last night. <laughs> uh, I believe in Jesus. Whether Jesus be actual history or a fabled teacher and role model, I believe in Jesus as a beloved leader. His famous works, I believe, were largely metaphor. But being metaphor, does not make his teachings less valuable. 
I believe the Bible to be a history book as seen by the writers of their time, millennia ago. Okay, going on with my few words in the paragraphs, I see church as a place where people gather to share the experiences of their God, hope, wonder, miracles. They gather to offer, we gather, to offer and accept loving care, to celebrate what we have in common, and to attempt to understand our differences. A church strengthens and improves us. It makes us whole. A church home, a church home is a beloved community. Lastly, I believe that I'm responsible, ultimately, for my own life. And it may be just a catchphrase or some egotism, but I believe that the only power greater than me is we. Donnie, can I have a copy of that? <laughs> Instead of sharing my credo, because the truth is I didn't write one this time, I'm going to tell a story about nothing. Well, nothingness. My relationship with nothingness. Go back with me four and a half years. I'm meditating, and I finally succeeded in quieting my mind. There's nothing but emptiness in me and around me. A vast, cold emptiness. And then I get a message. I don't know how, because it's not a voice. It's just a knowing. The message I get is that this is God, with the little g. The emptiness is God. I can tell you, I was not ready for this message. First of all, since when does the universe speak in lowercase type, huh? <laughs> I know you use like to say that revelation is not sealed, but I didn't think it would come like this. I actually didn't think it would come at all. On top of that, at that time, I was not interested in God, any kind of God, big G, little g. I had not been interested in God since a brief Christian period as a teenager. But this message had a lot of force behind it. This was now something I knew. God is emptiness. I found this very disconcerting. This was the opposite of the God I had grown up with. I resist God for 40 years, and then it turns out God is nothing. So I went to Rev Joy, our minister at the time, for help. Some people experience God as love. Why can't I have that? How do you feel in the emptiness, she said. Peaceful, I say. It's quiet there, very still. Buddhists think emptiness is good, she offers. It's what they strive for. The next Sunday, one of my favorite Buddhists, Donald McKillop, shows up at church, and I tell him about the emptiness, and he says, oh, that's great. That's what we're trying to achieve. Through emptiness, you can connect to everything. Okay, of course, I have no idea how to do that. Fast forward a year. Reverend Maria Christina is preaching. 
I always try to empty my mind during the sermon so there's a place for the sermon to go into, right? So I'm in this empty space and suddenly have an overpowering sense of connection to all of creation. I hate to say one with the universe because that sounds so hackneyed, but that's what it was. I don't hear another word she says. Sorry, Reverenda. (laughs) I'm so entranced by this connection, this union, this dissolution of boundaries between me and the rest of creation. And I float through the rest of the service in a euphoric haze. That was my first gift from the emptiness, this profound connection to the rest of the universe. Well, you had a little bit to do with it, too. My second gift from the emptiness was a new awareness of grace. In the 40 years I had rejected any concept of God, I still believed in grace, sort of mysterious, Um, in the gifts that come unasked and unearned, the gifts of life and love and beauty and joy, in the shared pain that binds us together. In the sacred emptiness, I feel the blessing of grace falling on me and filling me like the warm sun on my face or a gentle rain. As I continue to meditate, the emptiness gradually becomes less cold and scary. I kind of like hanging out there. I come to see that emptiness is a creative place. If you have a space that's sorry, already filled up, there's no room for anything new inside. But an empty space is full of possibility. In this creative emptiness, I start experiencing little bubbles of joy that come from the bottom and work their way up and burst out the top in laughter. I can't explain it. It just happens. If someday you see me walking up Redwood Road and I'm laughing all by myself, (laughs) that's what's going on. (coughs) Wayne Dyer says, it has been said that it is the space between the bars that holds the tiger. And it is the silence between the notes that makes the music. It is out of the silence or the gap, or that space between our thoughts that everything is created, including our own bliss. I will finish with the way I bring emptiness into my daily life. Imagine that you and I are having coffee or lunch, say. If I come to our meeting with the space between us filled up with my thoughts, my feelings, my agenda, what I want to say, what I want you to say, etc. There's no room for you in that space, let alone something new we might create together. So I make a point of coming to a meeting, especially a one-on-one meeting, with the sacred emptiness between us. I think of it as an empty bowl, a sacred bowl. It's about this big. Okay, sometimes I put a few things in the bowl, before we get together. But I try to make sure that there's always plenty of space, sacred space in the bowl to receive the gifts that you will give me with your presence and for us to create something new together. This is a spiritual practice for me, a spiritual experience. 
I have come so far from my original consternation. Today I have a rich relationship with emptiness that sustains and nourishes me. It blesses me, it connects me, it holds me when I'm lost. Maybe that's what the universe was trying to tell me those four long years ago, that that's what God is. Thank you. Today, we ask ourselves once again that critical question, what holds us together when we are so diverse? How does our liberal faith welcome people of all faiths, religious, and spiritual traditions? In the absence of dogma, how do we articulate what we believe in? How dissatisfied are we when religious holidays are watered down in order to appeal to believers and atheists alike? Does theological diversity get in our way? How do we build common ground for the common good and nourish a strong, effective, prophetic, and transformative religious movement? Big questions. We are continuously being challenged to examine our relationships between each other, between this congregation and other churches, temples, and between us and our own larger denomination. Our work includes fostering unity among ourselves, among Christians, Buddhists, Jews, pagans, atheists, humanists, agnostics, and more in its ongoing work. For the most part, we rely on our values, our principles, and our efforts to be part of a larger social justice movement in the world. We tend to avoid deep theological debates and wrestle with what it means to maintain a kind of a one-size-fits-all church. Some would say at times it is painful to try to find a center in a common ground because we always worry about leaving someone out. And sometimes we are the ones left out. We are the ones compromising, willing to engage in the work of radical hospitality, prophetic social justice witness, loving pastoral care, while also sacrificing some of the rituals that our spirits are thirsting for. Reverend Bill Sinkford believes that we are growing out of a cranky and contentious adolescence into a more confident maturity, a maturity in which we can claim our good news, the good news of Unitarian Universalism, the values and principles that we have found in this faith, and share the good news with the world. That means going beyond the sanctuary walls and our own little rituals and traditions. It means connecting especially with those on the margins of society, those who need good news, support, hope, and unconditional love. I would suggest that part of this maturity needs to be the practice of cultural humidity, humility that we need to practice it right here in this sanctuary with each other. That we need to make room for that curiosity, for that ongoing dialogue about who we are, 
what we believe in, and what gives us strength and hope during difficult times. We can no longer afford to feel superior to other faith traditions. The concept of credo, usually thought to be a statement of our individual beliefs, actually means that to which I give my heart. And I believe that the glue that holds us together is our loving, caring heart, our desire as humans to belong, that longing to be part of a community, to be seen, to be heard, to be held. We are an eclectic amalgam, highly creative, with a passion for meaning-making, a taste for complexity, skepticism, willing to entertain doubt, ask questions, and question authority, leaning towards independent thought rather than conformity. Add to this our myriad Myers-Briggs personality type indexes, and we have an infinite variety of patterns in the thinking-feeling spectrum. In practical terms, how do we practice radical hospitality and offer a welcoming congregation to those we consider outsiders, to those we consider the others? Our yearning for community must go beyond the notion of an association. At the heart of this beloved community is the question of who is to be cared for and who is to be neglected? Who is to be included and who is to be excluded and rejected? Whose point of view is to be taken seriously and who's ignored or even ridiculed? Our liberal faith challenges us to answer those questions to make an effort to include the other, to hear one another, to expand our heart and our capacity to love one another's credos. Many years ago, when Mark Bellatini was the minister here, our beloved Betsy Dye won an auction item and got to pick the sermon topic. <laughs> this is how Mark describes that event, and I quote, Betsy gave me a book to read that summarized the teachings presented by Jane Roberts, and she also gave me a list of her own thoughts, which addressed many ideas and raised questions of great variety. The difficult part of this sermon, he writes, for me was obvious from the very beginning. Betsy and I use very different language to express our religious ideas. I tend to use the language of skepticism, science, and humanistic readings. Betsy uses language found most often among the metaphysical movement. Yet despite these different languages, Betsy is a longtime member of a church of which I am a longtime parish minister. How can people of different religious languages exist in the same church? How can they communicate? Can both Betsy and I be in partial possession of the truth? Or do I have to engage in the terrible and cruel game that has marred our common world, namely that if one of us is right, therefore the other must be wrong? But Mark, 
Isn't that true? Can two religious assertions be true at the same time? That's not possible, is it? And then he proceeds to examine those questions, quoting the Hebrew Bible, the Quran, the New Testament, Plato, the Gnostic Gospels, Emerson, Hindu philosophy, and many, many more in a beautiful way. And he continues, so maybe you can begin to see that when I say that Betsy and I tend to use different language when we speak about religious things, this in no way suggests that Betsy and I have nothing in common. I too am convinced that this is healthier for people to figure out what they believe in relationship to their life experiences first and receive theology second. Betsy's book by Jane Roberts says that you create reality through your feelings and your thoughts and mental actions. For Mark, this was similar to Viktor Frankl's message in his book, Man's Search for Meaning, about how we respond to the events life throws our way. Frankl wrote, we who lived in concentration camps can remember the men who walked through the huts comforting others, giving away their last piece of bread. They may have been few in numbers, but they offer sufficient proof that everything can be taken from you but one thing, the last of the freedoms, to choose one's attitude in any given circumstance. And he continues to write, we are free to respond to misery, misfortune, or pain with grace, strength, and undefeated moral beauty. Still, belief is a difficult issue. As Betsy wrote, no one wants to appear to be wrong. Most of us want to be accepted for who we are. We want to be liked and appreciated. Not everyone will accept the other's point of view with grace. Beliefs are painful and controversial. Mark wrote, I have changed my beliefs about certain things several times during the course of my ministry, and I have to be thankful that I have been able to call myself Unitarian Universalist throughout all that change. The process, the journey, is more important than any specific way stop. I wonder, he said, how many of us have stopped in some convenient place for us? Who wouldn't want to rest? To be free of always having to search, search, search for truth and meaning. The Gospel of John puts these words in the mouth of Jesus. These words, which one once used to be printed boldly on the arch over many a Unitarian or Universalist church pulpit. You shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Whatever the final truth, I am pretty convinced that no one on earth knows for sure what it is. I am Unitarian Universalist. I can journey, I can rest, accept my freedom, tolerate the opinions of others, and go out of my way to express my very real love several times each day. 
Mark ends his sermon with, and I quote, Betsy, thank you for raising such interesting questions for me. I think I learned a lot from the dialogue, both about what you believe and how and what I believe. But mostly, I am glad that you have given of yourself so much to this church over the years. It's a form of love, I suppose, and that in the end is better than belief or unbelief in the world all rolled up together. End quote. What do we really feel when we hear our friends speaking their truth, articulating their credos? What do we really feel and think when their credos bump up against our own? What is going on in our minds when we hear another's testimony about a mystical experience, faith in prayer and the saints, belief in the afterlife, or their joyful affirmation of the non-existence of God? What happens when the same hymn brings one person to a state of bliss, to a holy place, and at the same time causes someone else to refuse to sing those words and perhaps even to leave the sanctuary? This is where we get to practice our relational values in that gap, our interconnectedness. This is where we get to expand our hearts and move from the I to the we, to look beyond ourselves and to ground ourselves in love over and over and over again. Because love is the doctrine of this church and service is our gift. Our great covenant is to dwell together in peace, to speak the truth in love and to help one another. The credos you have heard and will hear more of in the course of the year are from congregants who participated in building your own theology. They are both personal as well as communal journeys. They will show a quest for wholeness, an awareness of ourselves as part of a bigger whole, a core faith that guides them towards goodness and right action, a search for inner peace, harmony, a connection with nature, a testimony about finding God or the goddess with big G's and small G's, a sense of the holy contained within the ordinary. Caring congregants valuing love and community, curious folks seeking growth, learning and transformation, committed disciples of advancing truth who cherish wisdom intellect and logic, concerned individuals balancing freedom and choice with service to others and visions of justice, courageous risk takers pledged to integrity and honesty, creative appreciators of inner harmony and a world of beauty, covenanted people honoring our interdependent web and affirming our human worth compassionate companions who accept one another and respect themselves, open-minded people learning from dialogue in diversity. We are all this and more.
Neo-paganism reminds us to become a more embodied faith, respecting the body of Gaia, the power of ritual, the importance of beauty. Buddhism encourages us to practice a mindful faith, willing to be disciplined, fully present in the moment, aware of our interconnectedness with all beings. Feminism and liberation theologies call us to be a prophetic faith, daring to name what is broken, taking action to repair and transform our world. Beloveds, this is not enough to want readings and sermons to inspire us. We have to be willing to be inspired, even if it might mean we have to rethink things and possibly do things differently. It's about being open and shifting from I to we. We are different, and we are one people. Love is at the core of the foundation of this congregation. Loving kindness, caring for one another, is the legacy that we inherit and treasure. Let us embrace a sense of possibility, an openness to what is unknown, the not yet, the new, the difference, an openness that fosters qualities of creativity, of courage, of compassion, all of which nurture hope and healing in our world. Amen and blessed be.